This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 112. I'm going to go ahead and apologize right out of the gate. We are in Ohio, and so I actually had to loop back. We were already on the road to leave town, and I actually made a trip back to the house, so I would not be recording on my AirPods. So I'm using an old microphone, the old microphone, my ATR 2100, I think, or whatever. And this is the one where the audio kind of cuts from channel to channel on occasion. So my apologies in advance. If that does happen in your headphones or in your car and you notice that I'm only in one channel or the other, sorry about that. And hopefully in future weeks, that won't be a problem. But here we are. Yeah, here we are. I am not, in fact, in Ohio. But uh, no, no. Sounds like it'd be too cold to be there anyway at this time of year. We went sledding today, man. It was awesome. It was so fun. I made a video. You should watch no. the video. I mean, I'll watch video. the video. I put it on Facebook. You did? What'd you think? Oh, no. I said I will watch the video. But oh, I, I thought you said like you the watched cold. the video. Got it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't no. like the cold either, particularly. But we brought our stuff and we bundled all up. It was really fun. It gets it cold enough here and it, it only ever gets to like low single digits Celsius. So that's cold enough. That's, that's not good for us Australians. <laughs> My worst fear happened at the sledding hill today. Like, dude, I remember when I was sledding as a kid. We lived in Michigan, so we sledded all the time. And because it's freezing cold up there and there's always snow and that's what you do to stay sane when it's freezing cold and you have snow. You have to be outside so you go sledding, right? And so inevitably, always, somebody would be at the bottom of the hill and they just get taken out by somebody that's coming down. And, you know, the person at the bottom yeah. of the hill isn't paying attention. The person who's coming down apparently didn't care enough to make sure that there was going to be nobody in front of them. And so my daughter got taken out tonight, <laughs> today, by a sled. Yeah. I was just like, oh, gosh, but she was fine. She was laughing about it. She thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, we have that kind of thing with like the slide at the park. Oh, yeah. when he like gets to the bottom, he kind of just stops and he doesn't know oh, what to no. do. Like he can't get <laughs> off. And, and if he doesn't get off, the next kid's not waiting for him most of the time. Nope. Boom. Yeah. You got to sweep in there and save him. Dude, I had a pretty traumatic experience as a kid with that. I had, I got somebody was coming down the hill, like a really big wheel. I'm like, a, I'm like a metal saucer and just like ramped off of my head. I had fallen off of my sled and they they just like jumped. Like, I don't know. It was crazy. I almost broke my... <laughs> Neck, I swear. I don't know how I did. Jeez. Anyway, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, good experience. It was yeah. uh, that was a rough. Great one. times. Great times. Yeah, so we've got a couple of releases we want to talk about today. We've got Laravel 6.14 and 6.15. Um, exciting news, which is that Laravel 7 is going to be coming out at the end of this month, which is awesome. Uh, we've got some packages to talk about, and then we have a few tutorials that we're looking at as well. So let's jump right into the releases. You want to take 6.14 and I will look at 6.15? Sure. Awesome. The Laravel team released version 6.14.0 the week of the 5th of February with a new dispatch after response method, a macroable dispatcher, and a no pending migrations event. So the first up here is the dispatch after response, which was contributed by Muhammad Saeed, uh, which is a new method on the dispatcher to dispatch a job after the response is sent back to the client. The PR describes the use case for this method as follows. The method makes the job run after the response is sent and before closing the connection. It simply registers a terminating callback that the application runs before it's done with the request. It can be useful to dispatch a job 
instantly instead of sending it to a queue system. That's interesting. That is really yeah. interesting, right? So like what you'd have is you'd say, okay, a typical example would be I want to fire off a welcome email to somebody when they register or whatever. So what you'd do a lot of times is you'd queue that and you'd send that off to the queue. And what the reason you do that is because you want the experience for the user to be really snappy. You don't want to wait, mm-hmm. have to wait for them to send an email right before they get a response. So you'd queue that. But what they're saying here is you just send the response. And then with this, it just says dispatch after response. And so you just have whatever job that would normally be. But instead of saying dispatch, you say dispatch after response. And so instead of pushing it to the queue, it just automatically sends it as soon as the response is sent right afterwards. So the user has gotten their response. They still get their snappy user experience, but then it sends off the job. Mm. The only thing I don't like about this is uh, one of the reasons I really like using dispatch is because I want to know if it failed and be able to retry it. Right. Mm -hmm. So if that welcome email failed for some reason, let's say um, SES is down on the East coast or in the region that I'm using and it fails, all my welcome emails would fail for the period of time that that's down. Uh, If they're queued, no big deal. As soon as everything comes back up, I just queue retry all. With this, then I can't do that, right? I lose the ability to do that. So it's just something to be aware of, but that's a pretty smart idea. I think it's really interesting. It's handy. Obviously, it's been born about from some particular use case as well. So thanks to Muhammad for that one. The other one we have here is assert jobs with an empty chain, which was contributed by Gergo di Nagi, and it's an assert pushed without chain method on the queue fake class, which enables testing an empty job chain. So if you're using the queue fake in your test, you can now assert pushed with empty chain and then pass it the name of, of a job class. And it'll make sure that if that was a chainable, that it was it was pushed with nothing in it. So thanks to Gergo for that. And the last one we have here is a no pending migrations event, which was contributed by Vuta Rutgers, a no migrations migration event fires when there aren't any migrations for an up or down. While probably not something you need to reach for often, there is an event that is now fired during an up migration. So you can hook into that if you need to perform some action if there were no migrations to be run. So as always, you can see the full list of new features and updates in the link in the show notes. Interesting. That's some interesting stuff there. It's so funny because every time I think like, okay, certainly like this is complete, like there's nothing left to be done. You know, it's like there's mm-hmm. these interesting new use cases that people come up with. This is yeah. why open source is so awesome, right? Like there's so many interesting things that people are wanting to do with the framework that you just never think of. That's right. Yeah, pretty cool. All right. So we have version 615 this week with support for appending tables and artisan commands, uh, a validated authorization event, and a handler method that you can override to customize HTTP exception views. So let's jump right into that. So we have this validated auth event. So when a user logs in, there's a couple different events that are firing. This is a new one kind of in that in that chain of events that, that's uh, taking place. So we have a new validated auth fires after the user is retrieved from the user provider and validated, meaning we've found that there is a user in the database that has this particular ID that you're looking for typically by email and has a password that matches or a set of credentials that matches, uh, but we have not yet logged them in, right? This new event, validated auth, validated event, uh, is dispatched at that point, right? Not exactly sure why you might do that. Again, like we just said, there's, I'm sure there's some interesting use cases for why you might want to yeah. do that. But happens after you've gotten the the user from the database, but before you've actually logged them in. 
mm-hmm. maybe you'd want to do some sort of auth check. It's possible you'd want to say, I don't know, like if you were using a single database table to manage users for multiple different microsystems or something, right? You might look at the num- the permissions that they have by looking at something uh, in the database and then allow or disallow them to actually be logged into the application. Maybe. Possibly, right? You're saying like, okay, I'm getting the user. Here's a user from the database that matches the credentials that you have. Now, before we log them in, we're going to give you an event to do something before that point, right? It's the only reason I can think you'd want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, You might want to check something, like make sure that they have been validated and also make sure that they're paid up before you let them log in or that they've got available. Something that would prevent them from otherwise being logged in or using your application or... Um, you need to accept an updated terms and conditions, perhaps. You want them to do oh, that yeah, before they go. log in. That kind of stuff. Sure. Seems they, like a good they, place yeah. to do that. Or like like you said, like maybe they exist in the database, but they no longer have an active subscription. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Blueprint supports grammar macros. So Blueprint is what you use to build up your migrations. And uh, Hafez Devandari contributed the ability for Blueprint to support grammar macros when building raw SQL statements in the toSQL method. The grammar macros enables you to customize existing grammars. Uh, so in the in the blog post here, Paul says that he doesn't have a good example, but gives some code for the updated condition in the Blueprint toSQL that will consider macros from grammar. I think what this is doing actually, and I, this might be interesting, was a quick example would be like timestamps. I think that it used to be that if you had timestamps, it it would set a default time of like 000 or something like that. Yeah. And in a strict mode database migration, you can't use that as a default timestamp. You can use null or you can use current time, but you can't use 000, right? Yeah, that's right. And so there was some people who were basically overriding what timestamps was calling when it was being called because they wanted to avoid that problem, right? So for example, mm-hmm. they, they started an app in Laravel 5.2 and they've now upgraded to 5.7 or 6.15, whatever. And when they're running their tests and their migrations, that's failing. The database is failing because it's in strict mode now. And like these old migrations are, are not working right. So having the ability to do something like this would allow you to basically override an existing grammar statement and inject your own, I think, maybe, possibly. So perhaps, yeah, perhaps, perhaps. You can take a look at the code. I tell you what, the, yeah. if if Paul Redmond, my man, Mr. Paul Redmond, everybody's favorite human, does not have admittedly a good example, mine probably is not, you know, a great example either. But you can take a look at the code in either case. Uh, we also have these custom except, exception views. So Martin Buis contributed a get exception view method to the base exceptions handler class. So if you need some custom logic around getting the view used to render exceptions, you can override this method in the application handler child class. Typically how this has worked in the past, I believe, is when a HTTP exception is being thrown or being caught, the handler.php class will look in your views errors directory and then try to find a matching blade view that is corresponding to the status code that's being thrown so if you have a 404 it will look in views slash errors slash 404.blade.php that's where we'll go look to see if you have an existing 
view there that can be used to render that uh, that view out. And so what he's saying is he's basically putting a layer between these two, which is called get HTTP exception view, which now can be overridden to provide uh, maybe a different different routing uh, to a different view, however you want to handle that. So interesting. We also have append rows to an artisan table. So you can append rows to a table in artisan command using the append row method. So in an artisan command, there's a couple different outputs you have, right? You have like this info, you have this error, you have this, uh, I think, you, I'm not sure if it's this table or whatever, but if you've ever seen your command line, these pretty little tables, like what would you would get if you did PHP artisan route list or routes list? I can never remember which one it is. I always get it wrong first. Yeah. Uh, but that table that's generated, you can generate that in your artisan commands. Uh, but the problem is you kind of have to have everything up front in order to be able to do that. So you would loop through and then you'd get it into a structure and then you'd create the table off of that. What this allows you to do is this allows you to build it as you're looping. So you can append rows onto an existing table. So that's pretty interesting. So you can see the full new list of features and updates uh, in the diff on GitHub. And the release notes for Laravel 6.0 are also available in the GitHub version 6 change log. There we go. That's all the Laravel updates that we have as far as releases. So now we jump into the packages of which we have, I think, about five or six. Yeah. The first yeah. one we have here is the Laravel log reader package, which gives you a UI to view all of your Laravel log files. You can filter logs by date and type as well as clear them from the UI. The package's main features include a clean and fresh looking UI, a date by date log viewing, the ability to filter logs, the ability to clear logs. It is configurable. There is a responsive design for it. And there is also a JSON API available. The Laravel log reader has a configurable route that requires authentication in order to view your logs so that it is reasonably safe to use in production as well. If you want to provide a custom UI around logs, you can also use the package's JSON route at slash admin API log dash reader. So you can hook into that in however you feel you need to. I guess you could even use it to pull things out into other places. So you can learn more about this package by reading the documentation. Then the source code will be available on GitHub and we will include links to that in the show notes for you. Yeah, I feel like there's been a couple of these through the years. I used to use one of these before, a Laravel log reader. And I would always forget it was on there until I, <laughs> you know, until after I had went digging around in the logs itself. And I was like, oh, dang it, I have that available as like a, as a, a HTTP endpoint. But yeah, yeah, it seems like this one offers some interesting options. You know, we also have Telescope, right? Laravel mm-hmm. Telescope, uh, which is, a, uh, you know, probably a lot more heavyweight than this. Although I don't know if that's like even fair to say that it's like really heavyweight because you yeah, can disable all really. the different watchers that, yeah. it's, that it's using, right? In, other, in any case, it looks, this one looks pretty nice. Okay, we've also got, uh, this one isn't so much a, a package as much as it is an announcement. So if you've been using Tailwind, uh, which you should, Tailwind 1.2 brings support for CSS grid, transitions, and transforms. So Adam uh, announced the release of this uh, on February 6th, I believe. And there are a couple examples in the code here of how you could use grids. So if you haven't used CSS grid yet, it's pretty interesting. And I've played with it um, more than I ever thought I would in a recent project. And it's really powerful, really, really powerful. And so I think I can see myself using this more and more in the future. The problem that I had was it doesn't support IE 11, I don't think. Or there's a bunch of kind of like prefix garbage that you have to do. And so I decided not to go that route. 
But as I've heard Adam talking about this, he's pretty much not on IE11 bandwagon at all. He doesn't care to support it one bit. And so this, I think you might be able to support it if you used um, a preprocessor or something like that, or there's some shim or something you could throw in there. But suffice it to say, Adam's put a lot of thought into this one and the syntax looks really clean. Uh, so definitely check that out if you're using grid uh, and your CSS and would rather uh, use Tailwind to do so. Then he's also got these different transforms. So we've got the scale, rotate, translate, skew, and then transform origin. Those are all transforms that are now available in Tailwind 1.2, as well as transition property, transition duration, and transition transition timing function. So all three of those things are now available in Tailwind as well. And these are things that you could have done in uh, your your own custom CSS you know, classes and, and just done as you typically would have uh, previous to Tailwind, but now they're available in Tailwind for you. So you don't have to do anything extra, less CSS you have to write and more just uh, utility goodness inside your HTML. So pretty cool. Thank you, Adam and Steve for putting that together. Looks awesome. Looks really, really good. Okay. What else we got, man? The next thing we've got here is the collision PHP unit listener with Laravel. So Collision is an error reporting tool for the PHP command line applications and ships as a dev dependency for Laravel starting starting back in Laravel 5.6. I did not know that. Did you know yeah. that? It was a dev dependency? I didn't know I that. Did I didn't know I had that. I no idea. It's, yeah. so it's been around for a little while. Uh, it's a package by Nuno Maduro. And recently, Nuno had been tweeting about a PHP unit adapter. So while Collision ships with Laravel, you do need to configure the listener if you want to use it with PHP unit which is fairly straightforward. You just have to add a listener into your phpunit.xml file and it will give you a much nicer, cleaner view oh of where gosh. an exception enqueued after the full stack trace. So we're typically in a PHP unit test, you just get a massive wall of exception text and you won't really have any context or anything useful around it. The collision adapter will highlight for you exactly where the error was on what line it was it would give you much more context about that exception in your test output so you don't have to scroll back through like three screens of of text in your ide or your or your terminal or wherever you're running your tests yeah it looks really clean looks really really nice way better mm-hmm. than the errors i'm used to getting a php unit and the nice thing is it's not anything heavier than what you're already using yeah and you know obviously if you're using anything greater than laravel 5.6 it's already in there so it's just literally adding a single line to your PHP unit.xml file and you get these amazing stack traces right inside your console. Excellent. Looks very, mm-hmm. very cool. I'm definitely going to check that out. Thanks, Nuna. Okay. We have also got this package called Laravel JWT Redis. Now, Michael, you and I have had our disagreements over the years as far as how we pronounce certain things like, for example, uh, GUID or GUID <laughs> Why are you going to keep bringing this stuff up? Oh, because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to, I'm interested in how you say Laravel JWT. What do you say that? Well, I say, J- I say J- JWT, fully aware that there is the abbreviation of JOT. And I don't jot. think JOT doesn't work because there is no it's, O in any of that. I know. I remember, I remember TJ Miller, the first time we were at Laracon Louisville and I was walking around with him and he was talking about JOT tokens. And I was like, what in the heck is he talking about? And this is when Passport had first been released. So yeah, JOT tokens. I was like, what is what is that? And then I realized he was saying like JWT, JOT. And I was like, oh, 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 got it. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. So Laravel JOT Redis allows JOT authenticated users to be stored and managed in Redis with their roles, 
permissions, statuses, and other data. And it works together with uh, two other packages, one of them being Spassi Laravel permission package under the hood. And at the core of this package, it has the model, this Jot Redis has roles. And I believe this is, actually, I don't honestly know. I'm, I'm looking to see if that is something you just attach is the model. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Okay, I got it. So it's actually a model, but I think it uses Redis as it's like storage. Yeah, it stores right, it right? That makes in sense. Redis, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so it works in the background. So it functions almost identically to the Laravel session authentication, uh, but you can check out the readme for nuances and how this package handles authentication. So you can configure the auth uh, with the following uh, guard, which is provided here in the, in the uh, blog post. And it looks pretty simple to set up and use. So it basically allows you to store all of that stuff in Redis. So it's really, really quick to get to your users and um, uses Redis instead of your database, if that's something you're interested in doing. So there's a couple trade-offs uh, in this exact situation that Paul talks about in the blog post that I don't really think I could do justice trying to explain on the podcast. But if that's something that you'd be interested in using, definitely check that out. Yeah, if I, you know, like this is interesting too. This Jot Redis has roles model. I love that Laravel gives you the ability to change the connection and the table and all of that stuff that you're using right on the model itself. Yeah, which is really really handy. I've had to use that multiple times. Like if I have like two different databases that I'm pulling values from, it's so handy just to be able to set up the connection in databases.php and then in the model itself, be able to set the table, be able to set the connection, and all that right there in that model instead of having to do some funky crazy configuration somewhere else it's really nice always always nice to be able to do things in one place that keeps everything nicely contained i know that that one place that always view composers always seem like a good idea until you use them and then you come back to it like a month later and you're trying to figure out where this mystery variable is coming coming from from. Yeah, yeah totally yeah absolutely so yeah Definitely, uh, definitely convenient to keep things as closely related to each other as possible. If you are not going to be looking at the code often, or it's not, you know, immediately clear, like you're not documenting something, for example. Yeah, for sure. The last package that we have here is a Laravel resources package, which is an artisan command for speeding up the development of APIs by creating boilerplate by creating the boilerplate code around a default API structure. You interface with the package via the resources colon create command, which will generate all the files you need to build in an API resource. Uh, so it gives you the option here. Uh, do you want to create the resource? Do you want to create a migration, a factory, a cedar? And then it'll go ahead and do all of that for you. So if you're creating a post, it would go ahead and create a post controller, a post form request, a post resource and resource collection, policies, models, database factories, migrations, cedars, and routes. And so that it will set up a, a route group prefix with your posts and then you've got your post controller and all that kind of all of those endpoints there for you so the package does has a customizable configuration which will affect things like the file locations by default and the file name prefixes and suffixes Um, and you can learn more about the package by checking out code and the readme on github at laravel resources which we'll have a link to in the show notes absolutely that looks pretty handy looks pretty handy I don't like for me, I feel like the I always only discover these packages after I've gone through all the mess of creating something like this, right? Yeah, your like, first step should always be to Google to see if something exists because you seem to get caught by this all the time. <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I don't know. Like, 
And sometimes I gotta, I don't know, I guess sometimes it's good to use the packages. Sometimes it is good to build it yourself. But like in this case, you're not, you're literally not using it for anything in production. You're just using it for scaffolding out yeah, the, exactly. the API endpoints. Right, exactly. So I'd probably go between this or Jason McCurry's blueprint thing. I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure which one. I've never, I've never used either. So yeah, it would be a toss up, right? Probably my man, J-Mac though, because you know, he's J-Mac and Laravel <laughs> shift and all that good stuff. All that goodness. Which, by the way, shout out JMac. Uh, I just used Laravel Shift Human Services again. Freaking love that service. It's so nice. We had a 5.2 application and he updated it to 6.15 in a couple of days. And I didn't have yeah. to think about it. It was, nice. it was beautiful. Yep. It's really, really I nice. Am, speaking of Shift, I had my boss message me the other day and he says, Mr. Laravel, how would I go about upgrading a Laravel 4.1 application? Oh my gosh. And I said, well, 4.1 to 4.2, you're going to have to do by hand. And then I sent him LaravelShift.com. And I said, you're going to have to do them one by one, but you don't want to do this by yourself. I guarantee it. Yep. So they have a, yep. a very legacy application somewhere doing something. And and I think it was, I don't know if it was using Socialite. I don't think it was using okay. Socialite. I think it had implemented it itself, but the the format for Google Authentication had changed at some point. And so it doesn't work anymore. You can't log in. So... I said, in order in order for them to use the newer version of Socialite, they obviously need to get themselves onto a supported version of Laravel. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So I said, here's LaravelShift.com. Good luck and have fun. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it is so funny. Like, did you see that tweet that Jason McCurry had out the other day about Guzzle being like a, a pain and you suggested ZTTP along with like literally everybody else in the universe? Yeah. 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 That was because he was shifting our application and we use Guzzle. And he was like, what is this? Like, what is this? Yeah. Why would you do yeah. that to yourself? Exactly. Well, I don't know. It's actually not that bad. The use case we have for it is it's really simple, but I digress. Hey, uh, I think this would actually be a great time to talk about our sponsor. So, uh, sponsoring the podcast this week is a company called About You. So, have you ever wanted to relocate to Hamburg, Germany? Or, Have you ever wanted to be paid to learn German or have you ever wanted to get paid to become a expert in Laravel if you're not yet or in Vue or if you're not yet because you have to be an expert at one of them probably to land the job. But About You is very interested in investing in lifelong learning with their developers. So About You is an award-winning organization and they're the fastest growing e-commerce company in Europe. So they're located in Hamburg, Germany. They've got 8 million app installs, 15 million active users, and a company valuation of more than a billion dollars. So one third of their employees are developers and they come from over 40 different nations. So they're, they have a passion to develop one of the best products on the market. And to facilitate that, they've really put a lot of work into making sure that the developers are happy. They have an organizational model called Move, which allows you to switch teams to ensure lifelong learning. So they've built all their software in-house using Laravel, Node, TypeScript, Vue, React, and they are also using technologies that are more recent like Flutter. They've got a lot of perks like free drinks, fresh fruits, free language courses, and they'll even help you relocate. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you should definitely check them out at aboutyou.com slash hiring. Okay, thanks uh, About You for sponsoring the show. Appreciate it. Okay, so we've got a couple things left here. We have this ongoing tutorial that's running on the site. 
It's called Laravel Jobs and Q101. So we've had three different uh, tutorials. We've got building a simple analytics app. We have Q connections using multiple queues and setting up priorities, which I'm guessing is talking about Horizon. And then we have how to run your workers on your production server. And this is nice because for me, I always use Laravel Forge, which makes it incredibly easy to get these things up and running. Mm -hmm. And the documentation is actually pretty solid on the Laravel docs as well. But it's nice to have a dedicated post here, which talks about here's how you set it up in Forge, but here's also how you could set it up in the case that you're not using Forge, right? So if Qs is something that's new to you, these are an incredibly powerful tool that you get for free with Laravel out of the box. And I will say, as an experienced Laravel developer, if I did not have queues, I would be in a world of hurt. We yeah. use them for every application, always, always. And so, well, I can't say always, right? Because it depends. There are probably some little applications that I use queues for, but almost nearly always I use queues. So if, you're, if you've not used queues before and you're just kind of looking to dip your toes into the water, this might be a good blog post series for you to follow on Laravel News. Check it out. We'll put it in the show notes and uh, hopefully that's a help to you. Yeah. Yeah. Queues are a, a serious source of, how do I put this? They make my life so much easier, but at the same time, when they're not behaving themselves, they can make my life very, very difficult very quickly. Yeah, very true. Yes. And we this do horrible things where we are actually pushing jobs between applications. Yikes. Ra rather than being you know, sensible and having those queue jobs in a central application that we send API requests to, we just like fire off a job. So we, we duplicate the job in one app, which just has an empty handle method, and then that Oh, which is no. only used to serialize the job oh, onto no. the queue so that <laughs> oh, the application gosh. that's supposed to handle it actually handles it. <laughs> See, like you can't blame Laravel for that because no. that's just like, oh my word, that's just irresponsible. <laughs> Look, it's, no, no, it's a very elegant solution. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing you describe it, it sounds amazingly elegant. <laughs> it works like, fine. It works no, fine. I regret everything, but this is how we do it. Very elegant solution. The, the, one, the one thing for anyone that's listening, you can ask me about this if you if you want on Twitter or you can hit me up by email or whatever. If you have a Redis prefix on on your application and you're trying to do this, the Redis prefix should be not set. <laughs> so if you have one okay, application that's like, if your prefix is app one colon yeah, and the sure. other application is app two colon yeah. and you try and fire a, fire a job from app two to app one, App one will never ever pick that job up and you'll be sitting there scratching your head for a long time. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. I mean, because it has to be like that. And that's the whole reason why that Redis prefix probably exists, right? Is yeah. It's like, hey, don't pick up a job that's from another application. Yeah. Except when yeah. I really want you to. <laughs> Except when I really, really want you to. This reminds me of like cross domain browser cookies or yeah. something like when you've got like, okay, so similarly, like we have a couple applications where they all write to the same database server. But instead of making a nice little API request over to this other application, which will handle the logic of doing that, we do the same thing. We duplicate the the uh, model over there and we've extracted some of the migrations to a package and then we just write directly to that yeah. to that other database, right? It's just like more mm -hmm. convenient sometimes. So yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It's nice that you can do that, but you can get it really crazy out of control really quick if you're not yeah. careful. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so oh. we've got two other items here, I believe, on the list. Um, why don't you talk about the trailer? The trailer, the trailer that came out of nowhere. That this was, yeah, wild. Yeah, it, it's it's from a company called Honeypot, and Honeypot I, is yeah. Europe's uh, developer-focused job, job platform. Um, so you can create a profile mm. there and let companies apply to you. Little little plug for Honeypot. But Honeypot, out of nowhere, have been working on a new Vue.js documentary and launched the trailer, which features Taylor Otwell and some scenes from Laracon. And it goes through a few of the the you know bigger names in in those communities talking about Vue.js and how it, it just appeared from nowhere and is kind of running rampant now, I suppose, with so many users across all across the world. Um, yeah. it it looks like a really really well put together. Oh my gosh, the, trailer the quality is incredible. Yeah. It looks yeah. it looks like it was done by a you know a professional crew that that know what they're doing. So for sure, uh, what what began as a side project of a Google intern, which was Evan Yu, now shares the JavaScript leaderboard with React JS and Angular JS. Evan Yu tells the story of how he fought against the odds to bring Vue.js to life. The full documentary will be coming out in a little over a week on the twenty fourth of February. I don't know where that's going to come out or if there's going to be any costs attached to it or anything like that. But uh, keep your eyes peeled. On uh, Laravel News, I'm sure we'll have an article about it once that drops. Yeah. And so the next thing that uh, we're doing is we're actually hiring a crew to go do the Laravel documentary about Humble Beginnings. And it's going to go back and show photos of Taylor when he was like a young man, a very, with, very young with, man. With hair. With hair. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be um, it's going to be amazing. So no, I'm just kidding. That would be super cool, though. I would watch that. Yeah, we should have like a screening in Arkansas. It'd be amazing. <laughs> it was. It was funny. Ian Landsman apparently has a small stake in this company. I, I think Honey that's Pop? how I read it. Yeah, I, I think that's how I read it. He just got a small stake in it, and they they actually published a list of the names of people that they wanted to interview. And I look, I don't know the full context behind this, but I'll include the tweet, and you can hit Ian up on on Twitter if you want more information. But basically, it was like. Evan Yu was in the in the ten through twenty bracket, and it was like the Obamas, and then someone else, and then someone, and then Oprah, and then Evan Yu. It was like putting those two together in a list of like we'd like to interview these kind of people was amusing to me. That is really funny. They're like they're, that's hilarious. And look, not to take anything away from Evan, but Oprah and Evan Yu are not in the same league to be separated by one spot on an interview list. I oh think. come on, sure they are. Oh sure they are. Maybe if, if you're you in China, the order. Yeah, well. if you're in China for sure, like. <laughs> It is funny though, like in the in the trailer they talk about that, like he's practically like a national hero in China. Mm, yeah, it's like wild. Like you see, like this these kind. He's like getting mobbed, signing signatures. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on. Last thing we got on the list today is the new GitHub CLI is now in beta. So previously there was a third party sort of it had become the fit not official the unofficial GitHub command line utility which was called hub did you ever did you ever use that at all i have used hub in the past i'm, I'm pretty sure i still use hub actually do you okay yeah so github is introducing a more seamless way to work with github from the command line with github cli so they're introducing an easier and more seamless way to uh, i just read that thank you which is now in beta millions <laughs> of developers rely on github to make building software uh, more fun and collaborative and gh which is how you access it from your command line once it's installed gh brings the github experience right to your terminal you can install it through Brew, which is how I did it. They've got it on Mac, Windows, and Linux. So here's some of the highlight features. You can filter issues uh, by label. 
You can quickly view issue details. You can create a pull request. You can view the status of a pull request. You can check out pull requests from contributors. Uh, so they said, that, what about Hub? So what's the difference between GH and GitHub's unofficial CLI tool, Hub? There's a comparison to Hub section in the GitHub CLI readme, which outlines the differences. So it says this, Hub was the unofficial GitHub CLI tool for many years, but GH is a new project for us to explore what an official GitHub CLI tool can look like with a fundamentally different design. While both tools bring GitHub to the terminal, Hub behaves as a proxy to Git and GH is a standalone tool. So it now has been basically uh, GH is going to be the official CLI tool from GitHub Hub as the unofficial one. So don't know if Hub is going to continue to see any updates, but it seems clear that GH will be the preferred CLI uh, experience moving forward. So I previously was using something called Node GH, yeah, which yep. worked well enough. Uh, there was uh, there was a, really the biggest thing that I had with that was authentication was just a pain in the butt. I could never get it to do pull requests for me because we use like we have some private repos, right? The authentication experience for GH was amazing. So you just say like um, authenticate or whatever it is, and it pops open a browser, and then you click to to log in with your GitHub app uh, with your GitHub credentials, and it says, "Hey, do you want to authorize?" "Yes, I do," and then it. It's done. And so now your command line is authorized and everything worked perfectly right out of the box, just perfectly. So that was really nice, really, really nice. And so, yeah, definitely check this one out. I switched immediately and I'm loving it. It's really great. Yeah, I, I installed it. Uh, but, you know, most of my day job is around GitLab. So it's not heaps not sure useful that makes for sense. us, but yeah, all sure. of my um, side project stuff and personal stuff, it's all hosted in github so it'll definitely be useful for me there for sure yeah cool all right what else we got man do we want to talk about anything else before we head out that's for it the, that's it i know that's it that's, that's all it. the things i realize that you are in ohio and you're a hour further into the future but still 15 hours in the past so i will let you sign us out and uh, go get some rest Awesome, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. This is episode 112. Thanks so much for joining us and for hanging out with us for a little bit. If you like the show, you can find show notes for it at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 112. If you liked the show, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate it up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be amazing. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, or would like to get a shout out on the show, you can hit us up on Twitter at Michael Dorinda, at Jacob Bennett, or at Laravel News. We love hearing from all of you people who are so much smarter many times than the stuff that we spew on this show. So oh, if yeah. there's any corrections, <laughs> please feel free to hit us up there too. That's always helpful. Apologies again for my microphone. Sorry about that. And also thank you to our sponsor about you for sponsoring the podcast. We really appreciate it. We will speak to you all in two weeks. Sounds good. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Bye.